Welcome to Seniors and the People Who Love Them. I'm Cookie. I'm Pinky. And I'm Wendy. So our speaker from last week, Allison, what do you guys think about her? I think she brought a lot of valuable information regarding the Baltimore County Office on Aging's program called the Retired Senior Volunteer Program. It was very enlightening to me. It's an opportunity for seniors over the age of 55 to get into some aspect of volunteering. And she gave us some insights into how that can happen and some of the wonderful programs that are out there for seniors. It's a double whammy. It's seniors helping seniors, which is great because it brings value to the people who are helping and it brings such needed services to the people they are helping. It was wonderful. She was great. And also give a lot of idea what all services that Baldi County provide. It's not like one-to-one, they're saying they're building the houses and some house repair. And we heard about one-to-one seating companionship, but more than that, there is so many other volunteers that they're providing besides. That was eye-opening for me because sometimes you want to do something different than what you have been done all your professional life. Right. So the lady that she was talking about, 85-year-old, and she has visited each and every country out of state, and that was amazing, and by herself, without any right. help from anybody. That's amazing, so, yeah. Yeah, that was very amazing thing, the heart about it, you know, that many kind of people or that type of people still helping in community. I hope she's writing a book. <laughs> That's what you suggested. I mean, yes. So we'll see what happens in the future. So just another thank you to Allison for coming on. Hope to get her on again. She sounded like she had lots more that she could talk about. Sure, certainly did. It's a win-win situation. Okay, so today we're bringing you our ninth episode of our podcast. Today we're going to be talking about hospice. I work for a local hospice in Maryland, so I'm excited to bring this topic to our podcast. Before we start, we have a disclaimer. First, our weekly disclaimer is that we are not physician or lawyer. If you have any medical issue or legal issue, please seek practitioner or lawyer to give you professional advice. Okay, so what is hospice? That's something that oftentimes brings, I would say, some frightening thoughts to so many people when they hear the word hospice. So I'm going to define hospice from the American Cancer Society definition. They define hospice care as a special kind of care that focuses on the quality of life for people who are experiencing an advanced life-limiting illness. Hospice care provides compassionate care for people in the last phases of an incurable disease so they may live as fully and as comfortably as possible. The hospice philosophy accepts death as the final stage of life. It affirms life, but it does not try to hasten or postpone death. And I can attest to that, and I'll talk about it a little bit later in my personal experience with being a part of that hospice program for my late spouse. Hospice affirms life. Hospice care treats the person and symptoms of the disease rather than treating the disease itself. A team of professionals work together to manage symptoms so that a person's last days may be spent with dignity and quality surrounded by their loved ones. 
Hospice care is also family-centered, and it is so family-centered that one would be really surprised at just how much help hospice brings to the family members and the patients as well. Hospital is used when disease, such as advanced cancer, gets to the point where treatment can no longer cure or control it. In general, hospice care should be used when a person is expected to live about six months or less. If the illness runs its usual course, people with advanced cancer should have a discussion with their family member and doctor to decision together when hospice care should be. Study shows hospice care often is not started soon enough. Sometimes the doctor, patient, or family member will resist hospice because they think it means giving up or that there is no hope. It's important to know that you can leave hospice and go into active cancer treatment anytime you want. But the hope that hospice brings is a quality of life making the best of each day during the last stage of advanced illness. So one thing we always say in hospice to try to make it all make sense is that if you polled the average person, no matter what age, and you said, where do you want to be when you die? Most people would say at home, surrounded by my loved ones, comfortable. But the truth is, most people die in a hospital bed. Most people die in an ICU or they die in an ambulance trying to get to a hospital bed. So there's a real disconnect between what we want and how our culture treats the very chronically ill and the terminally ill. When most people think about hospice, they think of an inpatient hospice facility where patients go for the last days of their life. Hospices usually do provide some of that. But the reality is that most patients in hospice care are usually in the setting of their own home or in a nursing facility, such as a nursing home, an assisted living facility, or a group home. And when you're in your home or in a nursing facility, most of the caregiving is provided by either the family in a home setting or by the staff in a nursing facility. And the hospice team supplements that care with frequent visits from the hospice team. When you're in an inpatient hospice facility, all the care is provided by the staff at that inpatient hospice facility. So how is hospice care paid for? That's the, always the question comes on everybody's mind. The majority of patients on hospice are under the Medicare benefit. The Medicare benefit is specific criteria that has to be met for home hospice, hospice in the facility, and even more strict criteria for inpatient facility. If you don't have a Medicare, most private insurance also have hospice benefit, but typically they all have a different rules. This criteria, when I think I'm talking about 15 years ago, criteria was simple. You have end-stage disease, doctor qualify for that, and you get in a hospice. Now, I don't know where we stand, but they are more difficult and a very strict criteria to get in a hospital. And also, it's not that you got in a hospice because you never know what's going to happen to your disease process. 
and sometimes patients get better than they came into hospice. At that time, you are not going to stay in a hospice because you are receiving hospice. At that point, criteria disqualify for you hospice. So criteria is very strict and it's very different as insurance, different way. It's a different setting, has a different criteria. To add what you said, Pinky, I remember when I first started in the profession in long-term care, I remember the buzzword for one qualifying for hospice was failure to thrive. That was the prominent terminology used to see if a person would actually qualify or meet the criteria for hospice. In my last two years of being in the industry, failure to thrive is not allowable, is not considered a reason for one going on hospice. Now they're looking for much more specific disease. And also same thing that when we have some disease process that they have a severe pain and they say, oh, my loved one has a pain, it's not controlled. They needed the disease process taking over with the pain and his comfort is the question. So hospice will pay. That's again, it's not right. They might check it out saying what cause of the pain how it causing and it's a bit treatable because sometimes the pain is treatable by giving some kind of pain management every six hours. So that considered control pain and that will not give you criteria to get in a heart space. So as Glenora say earlier, law Part of diagnosis was previously 10 years ago was accepted in a hospice, not anymore. Those are not acceptable diagnosis anymore. So again, criteria getting very strict on that aspect. And to add what Pinky stated, as far as some people not having to remain on hospice or not meeting the qualifying conditions or criteria to remain on hospice, we often call that graduating that you're graduated from hospice and you go right back into whatever treatments you were receiving. I want to also add that when you have Medicare and are on hospice care, Medicare will not cover treatment to cure your terminal illness or related conditions. So for example, if you're on hospice for breast cancer, Medicare will not cover chemotherapy to treat your breast cancer. However, if you have a condition or illness not related to the breast cancer, such as maybe a urinary tract infection or you have a fall and somehow end up with a broken bone, and it would be significant, but not something that meets the criteria for hospice. Then Medicare will cover that, but it will not cover chemotherapy or radiation treatment. The hospice team will be made up of nurses, hospice aides, social workers, physicians, chaplains, and volunteers. They may also include music therapists, rabbis, priests, animal therapists. We have specialized volunteers that are veterans and they perform special ceremonies for veterans that are our patients. The nurses will typically visit once or twice a week. They assess the patient for new symptoms and signs of decline. They collaborate with the physicians to figure out what changes the patient may need new medications or treatments to manage the patient's symptoms. The most common symptoms that you're treating in hospice are pain, respiratory distress, agitation, nausea, vomiting, and worsening wounds. AIDS can typically come, they can come several times a week. I've seen folks who didn't want an aid to come to their house, and I've seen folks get AIDS seven days a week. 
it really is individually specific to what that person needs. But they can come and help bathe, dress, toilet, and feed the patient. Chaplains will give spiritual support. It doesn't matter if you're religious. It's not any one religion that is focused. We have many people that are not religious at all, or they identify as atheist or agnostic, and they still get a lot of compassion and support from our chaplain. Last week, we talked with Allison about the important role of volunteers in hospice. Volunteers must provide day-to-day administrative and or direct patient care services in amount that equals at least 5% of the total patient care hours of all paid hospice employees and contract staff. It's very unique that Medicare has that built into their hospice program, but it is very important. So volunteers are really highlighted and prized in the hospice arena. Hospice in a long-term care facility, what is my role as a social worker or as a social services director? Actually, once the physician makes that determination that the patient meets the criteria for hospice, that he thinks that the patient, the resident, meets the criteria for hospice, then that process starts. What generally happens is I will reach out to the patient if they are capable, able to say yes or no, I want to move, proceed with that. It starts with the consult of hospice. I make that referral. The order is written for the hospice consult. And then the family is also allowed to be a part of that discussion. If the resident wants the family member, whether it's the spouse, any other adult children, or whomever, even the healthcare agent, sometimes there aren't any family members that are available. So however, whomever it is that is going to be a part of that discussion, the referral is made, the hospice liaison comes in, she sits with the resident or the family member and just gives some basics. And once she gives the basics, she starts with the nurse liaison. They may be called different names on different hospices, but it's a nurse liaison that comes in and does an evaluation of the resident. Sometimes the family members are available. Oftentimes, the person wants the family member to be available. And then there is discussion, questions are asked, information is given. And if they want to continue to proceed with the hospice application, then the nurse liaison then communicates that information to the medical doctor, and then they assess to see whether or not the criteria are met. When the criteria are met for hospice, the person becomes a hospice patient, which means that if it's in a long-term care facility, you still have the nursing staff at the facility, you still have the GNAs, but the hospice person is pretty much more under hospice care. So if the person, if they're ready for hospice, then the team collectively comes in. Um, Sometimes they come in, the nurses may come in two, three times a week. All of that is established. That discussion takes place. It is established as to how many times the nurses will be coming in. It also means you'll sign some geriatric aids. They'll be coming in. Um, If the family agrees to have a chaplain stop in from time to time, They have volunteers that come in. And so there's quite a support system. It doesn't mean that, as I stated earlier, that the team 
of nurses in the facility and the physicians are not being attentive to the needs of the patient. It just means that hospice remains more involved to a great extent. Always come to the question regarding financially. Remember that when the person is on a long-term facility and receiving hospice services, they are still, client are still responsible paying for room and board. Medicare does not pay for room and board. It's only pay for hospice services. So keep that in mind because sometimes when we think about hospice and it's a Medicare program on a long-term care, family thinks, oh, okay, everybody going to pay for it. I don't have to pay anything. But that's not, that's the myth. When you are on a long-term care facility. This is a surprise to a lot of people. They don't know. The truth is, there really aren't any insurances that will pay for long-term care. You can purchase a long-term care insurance policy, and some of them will cover a certain percentage under certain circumstances. I would definitely recommend to read the fine print and get some advice because I have seen some people pay on long-term care policies for 20, 30 years, and then the red tape it doesn't meet the criteria and they get nothing. So I definitely would say before you purchase a long-term care insurance policy, read the fine print. I think that's probably the thing that is most shocking to people. They think I have Medicare, I have Blue Cross Blue Shield secondary, I'm covered. But the truth is almost no one pays for long-term care. With respect to what Pinky was saying, as far as people not Realizing that doesn't cover the hospice stay, I've had experiences where the disease process has increased to the extent that it's in the best interest of the patient that they shouldn't be receiving certain treatments. They are in a terminal status and they are declining. Medicare will not cover the room and board, as she stated, and some people have to wait it out, in other words, to qualify for medical assistance where mm-hmm. hospice will then come in and cover the gamut. People get confused when you say to them, at least from the hospice perspective, oftentimes the hospice nurse will say, what's their payer source? What's the insurance? And if they're not on medical assistance, it becomes much more difficult because that woman board is an out-of-pocket expense. And there are hospices out there that do pro bono work. I know the hospice that I work for, they do take patients that have no payer source. There are patients that might not be a U.S. citizen or for whatever reason, they're just not ever going to qualify for state Medicaid or Medicare. And they do take patients, which makes me proud to work there. I think that's really good because sometimes those patients are shuffled around and they receive the worst health care because of their payor status which is sad. I agree, totally. And so the patients or the residents are terminal, may meet the criteria for hospice, but because of the way operationally that it works, then they can't go on hospice yet. So we have to consider them to actually be under what we call palliative care. Palliative care is like comfort care. In other words, whichever facility you are, they are treating patient as a comfort care patient. In other words, they value all their medication. 
they only going to provide the medication that give them a comfort, not unnecessary because certain medication, like they have a congested heart failure long time ago and they're still on it. And if the hospice nurse or physician thinks that it's not going to make them a comfort level, then they will not provide those treatment that not giving comfort care. There are inpatient hospice facilities. Typically, these are utilized for patients that either have uncontrolled symptoms, pain, agitation, nausea, vomiting, respiratory distress that the team has attempted to get control of in the home setting or the nursing home setting, and they haven't been able to. So they bring them into the inpatient setting, which is where they specialize in that aggressive pain management. Or sometimes we have patients that their families or they don't want to die in their home. That's a personal decision to make. And they don't want to. They might be at the very end of their life and we're honoring their wishes that they don't want to die at home. Or the family just can't handle it emotionally, physically, mentally at the very end when the caregiving burden is greatest. And we also provide a five-day respite to any patient that's on our service. We typically will give a five-day respite periodically, usually no more than once a month. And that's to give the families and the caregivers a break. And uh, they come into the unit for five days. We take full care of them. Sometimes they're traveling, their families are traveling to spend time with their children or their families or they're going on a vacation or they just need a break. And Wendy, you are absolutely right that when the client in an inpatient hospice, the length of stay to that facility has varied seldom more than five to six days. They are saying the death process is already starting. In other words, that physician qualifying that the death is intimate and it's going to happen soon. And soon means we are talking five to six days, not a month later. Our average length of stay is one to two days. There you go. So As she said, one to two days means patient is less than five days staying in hospice inpatient. So hospice inpatient is very strong criteria, and it is that client is already dying process on their life, and it's going to be end soon, less than five days, and that will be going on inpatient hospice, and that will fully cover by Medicare. And I'll add a little except, (laughs) because... The criteria to qualify for what we call general inpatient care is really strict. And Medicare, just like they have turned their lens of focus to different departments, they have turned that lens of focus onto hospice. So the criteria is very strict. And if a patient is actively dying and has hours to days, but they don't have pain. We got their pain all under control and they don't have agitation. They're just comfortably dying. You might not qualify for that general inpatient care. And there might be a room and board fee associated with that. Each hospice is different. I've seen anywhere from $200 to $500 a day for that room and board fee. And that also comes as a big shock to people. And it's really difficult to take a family that's in the process of losing their loved one and then have that financial conversation with them. We try to do a lot of preparation on the front end so everybody knows 
are the possibilities that could happen, but it's a struggle because the system is complicated and it's really difficult for lay people to know all the ins and the outs. We don't even know all the ins and the outs. So let's talk about myth. Yeah, I'd like to take a bit of time to dispel some myths many people believe. I've heard the gamut of myths about hospice. Hospice is just out to give you morphine until you die. And it's really sad to me when I hear these things because I know the work that hospice does. And I personally believe that the end of our lives is just as important as the beginning of our lives. And I know what I would want and what I would want for my loved ones. So it's a little painful for me when I hear these myths that are not true. So we can go ahead and get started with a couple of myths. Okay. Well, one myth is that hospice is where people go to die. And I think you probably pretty much touched on that, Wendy, but most hospice patients receive care in their place of residence, which include private homes, assisted living communities, and long-term care facilities. In some instances, hospice is provided in an inpatient hospice setting for people whose pain or other symptoms cannot be adequately managed in their home. And my personal experience was that when I learned that my late husband was at the end of life, that the physicians made that determination that there was nothing else that they could medically. I first thought that, oh my goodness, and me, even in the field, my first comment was that we're not going to be able to leave the house because they're going to be watching us and monitoring us. And I thought it was like home care. And home care, you pretty much can't go anywhere. You have to stay in the home and receive the home care. One of the first things, and I had a wonderful nurse to say, no hospice is for the living. Go live your life. And that's exactly what happened. We went on a cruise. We we were all over the place. Pinky can attest to that. So it's not, once that person and the family comes to, to terms with that particular illness, and they accept it, then you continue to meet with family, collaborate. It's not always a situation. It's sad, but it's not horrible. Hospice is for people who death is hour or few days. Most family tells Hospice Foundation of America that they wishes their love one hand receive hospice care much earlier in the illness. Hospice care can be assessed up to six months before an expected death, giving a patient's time with family, friends, and pets, and the possibility of extended support from the hospice interdisciplinary team. Although hospice can neither hasn't death nor prolong the life, studies show that patients with a certain illness leave short work longer with hospice care than those with the same illness who does not choose hospice care. So in other words, hospice death, it is not a truth. Hospice doesn't mean the death. Hospice is that you accept the patient's sickness and you live full life that you have been living until your end. Another myth is once the choice is made for hospice care, there is no turning back. This is not true at all. 
individuals are free to leave a hospice program at any time for any reason without penalty. Re-enrollment in a hospice program is permitted as long as medical eligibility criteria is met. This is something that I definitely hear. Some people will say, I don't want to go to hospice because what if I have to go to the hospital for something? I'm not allowed to go because I'm on hospice. This is not true at all. Hospice is not taking your medical decisions away from you. I actually had a friend say they didn't want to put their loved one on hospice because if they were choking, they wouldn't be able to seek help. Something so simple. They just thought if they died from anything, not even the thing that they're on hospice for, we would just have to let them die. This is just not true at all. You can still seek medical care at any time. At the most that will happen is the hospital will assess what's happening with you and they may ask you to revoke services, which means you're choosing to seek medical treatment outside of the scope of hospice. You sign a paper, you're out, that's it. And then it's very simple to come back on again. I've had patients that were on my team that went in and out of hospice five, six times. It's a different journey for every single person. Another myth that hospice requires what's called a DNR order, meaning do not resuscitate. And that is not true. Now, I experienced that. I think the medical team would think it would be in your best interest if you are in a terminal state and you won't need to actually receive aggressive interventions, but you don't have to say, I don't want to be resuscitated where I do. So the purpose and benefit of hospice care is to allow for a peaceful death in a comfortable and familiar setting like home with loved ones near. While many people who choose hospice care wish to have a DNR order to avoid unnecessary medical intervention and hospitalizations, a do not resuscitate order is not required to receive hospice. Hospice professional has a death as we earlier say, hospital to death. The focus of hospice care is solely to relieve symptoms such as pain, anxiety, and breathlessness at the end of life, allowing nature death to occur in peace and with dignity. The medication used at end of life are for symptoms reliefs, relief only and are never used to hasten the death. And I know, Cookie, you've had a personal experience with hospice. Did you want to talk a little bit more about that? As I stated earlier, it was an experience that I had never had before. But I think that I learned a lot about program because it was a firsthand account of hospice. So at the end of the day, when I think back, I feel as though a lay spouse's wishes were honored. The transition from hospice to the afterlife was good for him. And I think when we see people go through that, we want to continue to have them in our hearts and minds, which provoked me, or I don't know, provoked was, is the correct word. But I decided to pen that experience. And I wrote a book and the book is called, you can still get the book on Amazon or the publisher. It was entitled The Courage to Die with the spirit to live. And if I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to be pissed. I love your. they were his last words. He took it like a champ and everybody was there. And it was a great experience to see someone accept that, to be told, this is it for you. There is nothing else we can do. 
but go live your life. So what does that mean? Go live your life. We did. Not everyone would probably be able to accept a terminal diagnosis or something that says this is it for you. But I think family and friends make a big difference in how and in the life situation takes place. We're going to link Cookie's book into our show notes so that you can get that really important book and see that personal experience. And it is a very real down to earth telling of it. Well, thank you. I have a personal experience. My mom died on hospice about four and a half years ago and I'm a hospice nurse. I was probably more prepared than most people and taking care of her at the end, at least physically and the skills that I had really wasn't a challenge but I remember the night that she passed, I was just panicking and I just couldn't handle it. And I didn't know what to do. And I was trying to be strong for my family. And I ended up calling my coworker, who's also a nurse. That was a safe person that I could talk to about what was happening. My mom was on the hospice service of the place that I work. And she said, I'm going to send one of the hospice nurses to come see you. And I said, I don't need a nurse. I am a nurse. And she's no, you're a daughter. I'm going to mm. send this person. The person that came was there for about 45 minutes. And that was the time when my mom died. And I didn't know how much I needed it, but I really did. And mm. I still work with that person now. And I'm sure for her, she's probably helped people in that same situation hundreds and hundreds of times. But for me, I feel a very special bond with her because she was here during that time. And I didn't know I needed somebody, but I really did. And it really helped me to, to just to not feel alone. Even though I had family here, it mm -hmm. was just really nice to have another nurse here. I don't, I can't even explain it. And hospice does offer support groups. I did not take advantage of the support group, but the support group is wonderful for so many different people. I think my saving grace was that I pinned the experience, mm -hmm. whereas other people have to have a support group and share that experience. But you should not keep it all locked up inside of you. And you did a good thing by allowing someone to help you because oftentimes we don't know how to say, I need help. Come in, just listen to what I'm We're so I'm used feeling. to helping yeah. others. Yeah, we're so used to helping others. And just also something to know is that even if your loved one didn't die on hospice care, if you are going through grief and bereavement, call your local hospice. If they can't help you, they will find out where you can get some help. But we accept anybody who's had a loss into our hospice groups. Wow. If they died on a different hospice and you maybe weren't satisfied with their service, it happens sometimes. You can go to a different hospice that's not related to that experience that you had, and they will get you into a bereavement group. Wonderful. That's good information. Just a few added notes. Every oh, hospice sorry. is different. There are for-profit and not-for-profit hospices, and there may be a difference in them. Do your homework ask questions. I understand that these are difficult decisions to make, frequently asked of you at a very stressful time in your life. So it, it can be really difficult to think straight and make informed decisions, but you can request an informational visit to answer all of your questions when facing the decision of 
putting your loved one on hospice or not. And maybe it's not the right decision to make now, but you can still seek out that information for when you need it in the future. So let's take a break and we will be right back. Okay, welcome back. This is the part of our podcast where we will review any feedback or questions received and give you some resources where you can continue your research. We had one message left on our Facebook posts. Jean-Marie Jasko left a message regarding our last podcast about healthcare decision-making. She stated, my parents prepared their healthcare decision-making and made sure we kids knew where to find the binders. Tough conversations, but we all felt better afterwards. Thank you, Jean-Marie. That means a lot to me. And I've had a couple of friends say that their parents were well-prepared. They had talked about it. They knew what their wishes were. They had everything lined up so they could be sons and daughters and sisters and brothers, and they could grieve and not have to worry about all of the tricky details that comes with estate planning and all of those end-of-life healthcare decision-making. We thought we would add few medical terms and abbreviation and what they mean each week. So for this week, let's try some new one. HDL, high-density lipoprotein. In common words, a good cholesterol, DL, low-density lipoprotein. In same words, say bad cholesterol, IBS, irritated bowel syndromes, LFT, liver function test, NG tube, nasogastric tube, SOB. Don't take it bad way, but <laughs> short of breath. Short of breath as SOB. Thank you, Pinky. Here are some of the resources we used for this week's podcast. Medicare, I know I keep saying this every week, Medicare really does have a lot of great information. And I find that their verbiage is really clear and concise mostly. Went to medicare.gov slash coverage slash hospice care. Really, all you have to do is Google Medicare and hospice and it will come right up. And that's really good information, especially if you have Medicare and that's what you're going to be using. I also found the Hospice Foundation of America had great stuff, National Institute of Aging, and our gold standard for hospice care as a large hospice in Maryland is the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. That's our standard of what we use. I guess it's a time for my joke. It is time for your joke. Joe asked Peter, wow, so many scars. You must have an adventure life. Peter replied, no, I have a cat. (laughs) So be careful if you have a cat. This is our show for today. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Please subscribe to get our upcoming episodes. We will be releasing new episodes every other Tuesday morning. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future topics, please visit our website, www.seniorscast.com. You can email us at seniors at seniorscast.com. If you would like to help us get our podcast more traction, please give our podcast a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We also have a Facebook page. 
We've been pretty active on the Facebook page, so certainly come drop us a line there. And if you just go on Facebook and search for seniors and the people who love them, we will come right up. Until next time, I'm Pinky. I'm Cookie. And I'm Wendy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye.